It's good to be back uh, and be back here with you guys as we're going through Colossians. Um, as I walked in this morning, Ben asked me how I was doing. I said I'm a little bit tired this morning. And he asked me why. My son and I have a tradition to go watch football. And my team should have called, called an audible last night and they didn't. So Florida uh, is going to need some help this year. But anyway, I'm doing well. We're ready to dig into the Word this morning. If you'll turn with me, we're going to look at Colossians 2 this morning. Colossians 2, looking at verses 6 through 15. And if you remember from last week that Paul was writing the Colossians as a, as a favor, as a request uh, from his brother Epaphras, uh, brother in Christ that is. Epaphras was a disciple of Paul's and had preached to the Colossians. Paul had never been to this church. He doesn't know the people personally. Uh, and Epaphras uh, had asked him, said, look, this is a church that God helped me plant in Colossae and the people are, are having some problems and I, and I really need you to write, instruct. Paul would have been known to them as an apostle of Christ. Uh, and he's reaching out to them through this letter. Uh, and the Colossians are facing some teachings that are infiltrating their church that are incorrect. And Paul writes to encourage. Paul writes to correct. Um, and Paul writes that they may be strengthened in Christ. And so, as we live in a time of teachings of man, and we've always lived in a time of teachings of man in the world, our church can be infiltrated in the same way. We can be influenced by outside teachings that aren't true. Uh, and so this applies to us in the same ways it applied to them. And so this is God's word for us this morning. Um, as we know God's faithfulness and love for his people. This is Colossians 2, 6 through 15. This is God's word for you and for me this morning. If you have the Bible, you can turn to it and stand if you're able as we read God's word together this morning. It says in God's words, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the element, elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in, the in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. God's word for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that brings power. Your word that brings truth. Your word that opens our hearts and our minds through the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Father, lead us, guide us today in this moment. Speak to us in your truth. Guide us as your sheep. Grow us in the truth of who you are 
and what you would have us to be as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at this sermon and this portion of Scripture. The idea that I want us to grasp and take hold of is free from captivity, alive to Christ. Alive in Christ. Free from captivity and alive in Christ. And as we look at those words, the first one rings true with our culture if we think about it. We like the idea of freedom. It's been built into the culture of the United States. Let freedom ring. This is who we are. We talk about freedom and who we are. Freedom in our personal choices. Freedom in our jobs. We like and we have been encouraged to enjoy freedom. And the opposite of that, the idea of captivity is something that we really don't like. And when you look up the de de definition of captive, it means can be imprisoned. Um, it means controlled by others. And so you get this idea of free from captivity. And we're going to talk about what those mean. And we're going to pick them apart a little bit. But I want to add in the idea of alive to Christ because we still are following and in and with and through Christ. And so it's not a freedom of to ourselves. It's not a freedom that we're following ourselves. It's something that we're looking toward and a captivity that we're going away from and that we're out of. And if you look at the idea of captivity, it's something, if you look at humanity, there's been captivity all through, whether you go to Paul's day, uh, and they say there's somewhere between 40 to 60% of the citizens in the Roman Empire were slaves of, or indentured servants of some kind. Because when the Romans would go take over whatever country it was, they would bring them back and disperse them, but then they would still be under slavery of some sort. And you can find slavery and captivity throughout all of time. And it's still very evident today, even in our own country. You know, our history comes out of slavery from Africa and other countries. But you might be not aware of the slavery. We know there's human trafficking today. And there's slavery with that within our own country. I can go within our own city, and I'm not going to tell you exactly where, but I know churches that work with apartments that have immigrants. And these apartment complexes will be controlled, if you will, by the people who have already come over to the states. And then they'll say, oh yeah, we'll bring some more people over and we'll help pay your way. And the people pay the way to get there but they don't have any papers when they get here. I'm not going to go into the whole legal issue on that one. But when they get here, they think, oh, I'm going to be free. And the apartment complex, the, loan, the people who have helped them say, oh, no. You're going to work for us for a certain amount of time more. And if you don't, we'll just turn you in and send you back. So captivity still exists. And that's not the sense. So this idea of captivity has existed for a long time. And is that really what Paul's talking about here is, is not? Because remember, where is Paul at this point? Paul's on house arrest in prison. He's not planning his jailbreak with the Colossians. He's not writing, yeah, we're going to meet, you know, I want you guys to distract the guards and I'm going to dig a hole over here and you guys get me out, we'll bring two horses and, you know, we're off. No, that's not what Paul's writing about. And that's not the kind of captivity Paul is writing about. Paul's writing about a spiritual captivity. A spiritual captivity and just to think and dig a little bit more about that I want to tell you about a friend of mine a friend of mine whose wife was dying of cancer and a friend of mine who had been in the church all his life and had been taught that if he just prayed hard enough 
and said the right words, that he had the power to invoke God's presence and healing to his wife. And so what did he do for two and a half years? He prayed, which amen, so glad that he prayed. But he prayed thinking that somehow by his prayers, what he was doing, by his faith, if he just had enough, that God would say, he would release his God's power. So and I, he had the power to control God. And God would heal his wife. And there was a captivity in that because it, as it came down to the last days, he really started questioning his faith. He was captive to a teaching that was wrong. And bound to it. And he's going, did I do something wrong? Was my faith not strong enough? And so he was captive to a teaching that was incorrect that he found in the church. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. That as the Colossians are being infiltrated some, by some doctrine that was not pure, not good. He's reminding them who Christ is. And to discern and be careful not be captive to false doctrine. Because it will lead you astray. And so as we come into this, I'm, we're going to take the first part. And this is the idea that we're free from captivity, but we're alive in Christ. And he focuses them in the same place that actually we talked about before, which is interesting. Um, and so I'm not just repeating myself, but Paul repeats himself in the first point. Um, in verses 6 and 7. And we talked about this last week. It says, Therefore you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. And we went over and we talked about walking in him and rooted and being built up in him and we're going to pick these apart a little bit and established in your faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving and you'll see the themes and the wording that Paul has used before received Christ walked learned of Christ in faith saved by him would walk and have action and I know I talked about this I'm not cheating on my sermon just repeating my notes from last time but there's a reason that Paul does this and he used another theme abounding in thanksgiving and if you've ever dealt with kids or if you've ever been a kid or if you've ever taught a class or tried to manage kids on a playground have you ever repeated yourself more than once okay or maybe like me more than five times yeah I mean it took I mean it must be our bad parenting skills but I mean it took us like two years to get one of our kids to stop chewing with his mouth open I don't know how many times we asked that kid to stop chewing his mouth open um, but there's a repeating and there's a repeating here on purpose because we forget or we don't hear it or we don't get it it took me a year to learn with my kids that if my kids are reading they don't hear me I had to go touch them same thing with boys boys are distracted half the time you had to go touch them look me in the eyes and you say it real slow and you get it to say them back to you and then they still may not get it <laughs> but that's what Paul's driving at here he repeats the idea again that our position this is our position in Christ that we have received him and that we should walk in him there's a receiving of by faith of who Christ is and that we walk in him in action and then he gives us some really other good words to think about as our faith is being built up and he's doing this for the Colossians because they don't remember because they have to go back and be regrounded in their faith and who they are and what it's about. And so one of the words he uses is being rooted. Rooted in Christ. If you're from the Midwest, it might be roots. You might be roosted. But rooted in Christ. What is it? It said rooted and built up in him, being in Christ. And so the idea of when you think of plants, 
And I don't know if we have some farmers in here. And this is one of the illustrations that we find throughout the Bible. The idea, and we know from studying in, in classes, you know, maybe you planted those, the marigolds or something. But the roots go down. And the nutrients come through the roots. Without the roots, the plant doesn't survive. And it talks about, in, even in the Psalms, that, that, that where the by the still waters, the roots go down and they're established and they're strong. And so as he's talking about their position in Christ and reminding them of who they are and where they should focus, he talks about being rooted in him. Where do you draw your spiritual nourishment? Where do you gain your spiritual water? Where do you get fed for the things in your life? And so there's this idea of Christ, it says in him, him being Christ, and that we're rooted in, in Christ. And then he goes on to say being built up. And so reminding them of the position as we face this idea of free from captivity, alive in Christ, they've received him, they walk in him, they're rooted in him, and then they're also built up. And the idea of becoming more and more like Christ, being built up. One of the, some of the words we sometimes use, the big words, the shuns, the justification, sanctification, glorification. So this is the idea, and the verb here is a continuous process. And we're being built up in Christ. We can find this idea in some other passages in Acts 20, 32. It says, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. It says again in 2 Peter 2, you yourselves are like living stones or being built up as a spiritual house. Christ is the foundation and the capstone. And so there's ideas. They were remembering their position in Christ. They're being rooted in him and being built up in him. And that's the sanctification process. And the idea that God's showing us our sin. He's not keeping us there. We're not slaves to sin. We're not captivated by our sin anymore because we're a new creation in him. And he's taking us while he shows us. He, then he takes us and says, remember my mercy, my grace. It's sufficient. You are covered. You are loved. And you're not defined by these anymore. Now you are defined by me and my promises and my love and my patience. And that is what you are to be as you carry it forward. And so they are rooted in Christ and now they are being built up in him. To become more and more like Christ in the day of Christ Jesus. That's a good thing. Amen? That's a good thing for us, right? Because God is alive and moving in us and showing us who we are and who we are to become. He is not stagnant. He has not left us. He is growing us and we are being created more and more in Him. And so we see these words rooted, built up, and then another one, established. Established. That is something that stands. It will not be moved in Christ. And all this is in Him. And so I don't want you to hear, oh, go, you've received Christ, now go walk without Him. Go get rooted without Him. Go get built up without Him. Go get established without Him. All this, if you go back to it, it's all in Christ. And that's where it comes from. That's our power. That's our source. That's where we have to go. And then it has an active response. And we talked about this last time. Where does our attitude come to? And the act of is abounding, abounding in thanksgiving because we're remembering our position. So as we are to live for free from captivity, the pressures of the world, the false teachings alive in Christ, we remember who we are and our position in Him. And then it's an attitude of thankfulness for what He's done and what He's about. It's easy to forget this though, isn't it? 
When the pressures of the world hit, it's easy to forget we're rooted in Christ. When, I don't know what your week is like, but I bet if we went around the room and we're not going to share, so no pressure. Um, I bet you could tell me st stories of trials this week. I bet you could tell me stories of frustration. I bet you could tell me times when you weren't thankful. I can tell you those stories in my life this week. And so here he goes. He goes back to the gospel. I have a friend of mine who I used to work with in St. Louis at New City Fellowship in St. Louis. He said, the gospel's not rocket science. Which is really good because I'm not a rocket science engineer. And I would never have done the math or passed it. The idea and the concept is really kind of simple. But then when you start working it out, it gets messy and chewy. But God is good and God is in it. And that's why it says in him over and over and over again. Because that's where they find their position. And that's what he's reminding them in. And that's where he wants to remind us. These are the things we are to be in Christ. Because Christ has us and Christ is moving us and Christ is growing us. And so that's the idea. As we're free from captivity, as we're alive in Christ, one, we need to remember our position in him. Two is the idea, it points to this again, is no captivity but a fullness in Christ. And as we look at verses 8 and 9 and 10, it says, See that no one takes you captive. And if you look forward to down to 16, uh, it says, see, no one passes judgment on you. And then if you look in 18, it says, let no one disqualify you. And then if you look back in chapter 2 to verse 3, uh, let me find it to make sure I got the right verse, but nope, not verse 3. Um, Talks about right in the beginning, let no one delude your faith. Um, and so you get these words that no one to take captive of you, but nobody is to disqualify you. No one is to pass judgment on you. And so the idea is, as the world looks at us, they will judge us. And as the church is here, let no one teach you in a false teaching. It says, let no one take captive of you by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition or according to the spirits of the world not according to Christ so the idea is where are we gaining our wisdom we should be gaining it from Christ and his word and what we will be told in different places in the same way the illustration I used in the beginning is that there we will be told false teachings and if you take a second just think about that what have you been told what have you been told that you then add into your salvation? Or that adds into your relationship with Christ? Have you been told that if you're not successful by world standards, then you're, then you're really not as successful in your faith? Have you been told if you don't have a, a high enough education, that maybe God won't love you as much? Have you been told if you sin in this way, then God will punish you for that? Have you been told if you don't do X, Y, and Z beyond your faith, Christ and? If you don't get baptized in this way, and there is a way to do it, I'm not saying that, but if, or if you don't do these things, if you don't tithe, if you don't, in my earlier illustration, if you don't say certain things, if you don't say your prayers at night, that you are not really in a good relationship with God. Have you been told that if you're not married, 
and the church is really good at not acknowledging singles and the power and the way that God's used singles, then you're really not, maybe, in your right relationship with God. How, what have you been told? Where does the church, or where are false teachings come in and infiltrate this idea that it takes us captive? Philosophies and empty deceit. If I don't look a certain way, then God's not going to accept me. If I don't act a certain way, then God's not going to accept me. If I don't do these things, and there are good things to do, don't get me wrong. But where's God's grace not sufficient enough and we apply that to our lives? If you failed at something this week, did it take you out of God's hands? Not at, by the mercy and grace of God. But we fall captive to it, don't we? We fall captive to, man, I failed at this. And you can fill in the blank. I failed at the words that I said. I failed at how I treated my coworkers or my friends. I failed because I left undone the things that God called me to because I had fear in it and I didn't want it to happen. I failed because my faith wasn't great enough and I doubted what God had for me. I failed because I was really just in a bad attitude all week because I'm tired of it being hot. <laughs> Amen for Ruth because she's doubly tired for it not being cool. Um, but and, and then we take those things in, in, our, in our own light. We go, man, I don't have success in those areas. And then they, we carry them over to our relationship with God. And we somehow we say, that's not sufficient. God's grace isn't sufficient. And we're held captive to the thoughts of the world. That we're not good enough. And that's not what Christ says. Christ says, I love you. Christ says, I gave you my mercy and grace. Christ says, I have you in my hands. Christ says, I have a place for you in redemption. Christ says you're rooted in me. And that's where we should rest. Don't be captive. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let the teaching of the world come into your brain or your emotions. And that's what he's driving at here. Is where is, where do we let this? We need to be careful. We need to discern. We need to be, watch out for where do the things from the outside where does come in and affect our relationship with Christ when Christ says that's not what it happens. That's not the way it works. The world gives us doubts. The world gives us things that affect that. And Christ says, no, go back to me. You're rooted in me. You're established in me. I have you. You're growing in me. Look at me. I have you in him. And then he repeats it and again in a kind of different way, but he reemphasizes this idea of Christ. And so it's this idea that points us to not being in captive but alive to Christ. Here we have no captivity and fullness. And so when we look in the verse 9, it says, in 8 it says, don't be captive. And then it says for, in 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. And the idea is that Christ was fully God. Christ is fully God. And so the one who loves us, the one who saves us, the one who's in a relationship with us is fully God. And we have a relationship with him. Amen? The one who has all power and authority, it goes on to say there again, for in him the whole fullness, it wasn't part fullness. And be careful because there are, deity, there are teachings that say Christ wasn't fully God. It says the whole fullness of God here, whole deity dwelled in the body. And then at the bottom it says in verse 10, um, it says that you have been filled. And it says, who, it says, I'm going to skip over just a little bit to part B of 10. It says, who is the head of all rule and authority? So the whole fullness of God was in Christ who is the head of all rule and authority. And then what does it say about that for us? 
and you have been filled. Filled by who? Filled by who, church? Christ, in Him. So the one who has the whole fullness of deity, all authority, all power, has filled us. And that's where we come to with our power is we're looking at this idea of being free from captivity, alive in Christ. Look at what we come in and with and through. Christ, all authority, all power, over all creation, all things. And you have to here again look at this idea. Where does the world cause me to doubt that or not tap into the fullness or understanding of God? There was a European family back in the 40s or maybe the 30s poor that saved money to get tickets for passage to the United States. They saved their money. They got enough tickets to finally come. They were immigrating over. They were going to arrive. And, and they didn't have enough money to buy food before they got here. And so they saved bread and cheese. And for the whole passage, bread and cheese. How many people like to eat the same meal every day? Three times a day. Rice and beans. Here we go. All right. No. And so the bo little boy finally complained enough to his dad. Said, look, dad, I, I just can't deal with this anymore. I, I got to have something else. And his dad gave him a nickel. He said, go buy an ice cream. And the kid went away. On the, he was on the boat. And, he, and he, he went to get some ice cream. And he was gone for a long time. And he finally came back. And his dad said, where have you been? I've been worried sick. And he said, Dad, when we bought the tickets, the food was included. I've been eating steak, ice cream, fruit. I've been having a great time. But where do we shortchange God? Because we doubt what He is or who He is or the fullness that He's given us. Don't be held captive because holding captive is just holding out for the bread and cheese. But God says, I have a whole banquet prepared for us for the fullness in all situations in our life that he wants to give us. He doesn't want us to be held captive by the world's thoughts, by the world's false teachings, by the pressures of the world, by the doubts that it brings. But he says, no, in me you have the banquet before you, the fullness and the blessings that I have for you. Amen? Amen, Amen church. And that's what we want. Don't be held captive. Be free and alive in Christ and who he is and what he stands for. And that's why we go back to God's word again. And then in, in, in 15, 11 through 15, he gives us some more illustrations of this life-giving work, Christ's life-giving work. Because one of the problems that was coming in, this was a group of Gentile people in Colossae, which means they weren't part of the Jewish nation. They weren't included from the get-go. And so many of you know, he, he uses several different illustrations here to talk about um, but this idea of how they are included and they have a union with Christ and Christ's life-giving work that gives them the freedom from captivity. But one of the teachings that was going on is they were teaching the Jewish, the teachings that were coming back into the church was this kind of Christ and, Christ and of the time. Um, and the Christ and of the time was you've come to faith, amen, you've been baptized, amen, but you're not Jewish and you never were circumcised. So there was a work aspect to it. So now you need to go back for you to really be saved and really have the right relationship with God. You got to go back and do this. And Paul's saying, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. 
and we don't, I, I don't know that I've not found that teaching um, as much in our times, but I have found teachings in some churches that will say, oh, you were baptized in that church? Then you, you definitely didn't get it right. Or you don't have this manifestation of the Spirit, then you really don't have a full salvation. You have a partial salvation. Or you're not living, oh, you haven't cut this, this, and this out of your life, then definitely you are only 30% Christian. You know, and that's, that's not what he's driving at. And that's what he's driving at here is that Christ's life-giving work is sufficient. It frees us from the captivity of the world and even the false teaching in the church that we can be alive in Christ. And that's where our focus has to be. That's where we have to go back to. And so in 11, he's looking at the idea of circumcision. It says in him. Again, we see that repeated again. I talk, we talked about repeating and how Paul keeps going back to that, but we need to be hammered in. It says in him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands. By putting off the, fle of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so, whereas we know circumcision in the Old Testament was the idea of a bodily done by the priests. Um, here, it's something totally different. It's something totally different that Christ was cutting away. It was, it's cutting away the sinful nature. Yes, it's cutting away that we're no longer slaves to sin that you would mind finding in Romans 6.6. 6. But we read in Ezekiel that God gives us a new heart. We are different people. We are changed. And the circumcision is spiritually done by Christ. The old is cut away. And is replaced with new and alive. This idea that we are circumcised. We are truly circumcised with worship and spirit in Christ and who he is. It says we are in, in Philippians 3.3. 3, we are the true circumcision. Who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus, put in confident, not putting the confidence in the flesh. It says in 2 Corinthians 2, 2 oh, sorry, 5.17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And so it's this idea of circumcision that God has cut away through Christ the dead and replaced it with life. In Ephesians it says we are dead in our sin and trespasses. And God has cut that away, taken that out, and put in new life. We are alive in Christ. It's not just life for life. It's a life in Christ. One who follows him, seeks him, knows that Christ has him and her. Not trying to leave out a pronoun there. But this idea that we're a new creation. It's Christ's life-giving work. It's not done by the hands of men. It's done by, the, by Christ. And who he is. He has changed us. We are the new creation. Therefore, we have the ability because of what he's done to follow him. Without it, it doesn't work. That's why this idea we're free from captive, captivity, alive in Christ. We're alive in Christ because of what he's done. Doesn't mean we get it all right. And when we come to the table, we'll talk about that some more. But it does mean we have our eyes not stuck on ourselves. It talks about in Ephesians 2. That we're followers of Satan. That we're followers of sin of the world. Followers of the patterns that are here but now our eyes are focused on Christ because he's drawing us in because of his love for us and so we're freed from the sins and the dominance and the judgment and followers of Satan and now we're alive with a life for Christ and Christ has done that work through the circumcision that he has done in our hearts and then he goes on and talks more 
He says in 12, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so this idea here again that we have a union with Christ. Christ who died for us. Christ who was raised from the dead. And so in the same ways we have died to our old nature. Our sinful nature. And we are risen again in Christ. In him and through him and with him. And so we have a really powerful and incredible relationship through faith. In a union of Christ as we live. Christ is working in us and through us. And he is in us by the deposit of his spirit. And so you see this idea, and, and Paul is, is reteaching. It says this from one of the commentaries. It says, as the initiating rite of the Old Testament, circumcision signified the cutting away of sin, undergoing change of heart, being included in the household of faith. Paul says that in their baptism into Christ and into Christ's body, these Gentiles have already been circumcised. So they already have everything they need for salvation. The baptism is the circumcision of Christ. It signifies the washing and the cutting away of sin, the personal renewing by the Spirit of God and the membership in the body. It was an important way about the unity of the covenant of grace between both the Old Testament era and the New Testament era. And the Gentiles believe it's not expected to, it was a transition that they didn't have to be baptized. They didn't have to be circumcised. They weren't expected to follow the OT Old Testament mode, but the identification with God and his people was through Christ. Their faith in Christ had made them as much children of God as they were, as were the ethnic Jewish believers. Baptism was not identical to circumcision, but it corresponds to its essence and has replaced the sign of the covenant. And so you find the idea that Christ was completing it. Christ is doing the work here and making them alive in him. And so as we look at this idea, lastly, here in these verses, that we are free from captivity and that we have the alive in Christ, it gives you one more picture between circumcision, baptism, and then it goes to legal documents. I've dealt with the courts of Richmond for the last four years. And if anybody works there, amen to you because it's been a long process for me. Um, but thank you for your prayers. And I don't even know if you remembered you were praying, but my daughter of uh, foster care for four years was adopted and completed this summer. Amen. Uh, through many prayers, uh, and I know I brought that up previously. Um, but there's a legal process to that. There was a legal process to that through the courts. And here there's a legal process that talks about with us and our sin. And it talks about, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses, and this is in 13. And the uncircumcised of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. You ever think about your life that way? It's kind of an odd way to think about it. But you have this list, and I have this list, of past, present, and future sins. And if I wrote everything on this wall, walls of mine, this is not big enough. Um, there's some I know and some I don't know. But if I put all my sins on here, first of all, I don't want you to see them. And I don't want to see yours either. But there's a legal demand 
on those sins. There's a legal punishment in the same way if I walk out today and steal your car out of the parking lot. There's a legal process that's going to happen if you trust charges. I'm not going to do that and hopefully you don't have to either. But there's not yet. There's a legal demand. It says God in his mercy and his grace and Christ's life-giving work that there's a legal demand on our sins and he's forgiven those who we were dead in our trespasses and made alive together with him having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. And so as Christ and his work is sufficient and Christ is sufficient for us in our life and we look to him to put away the false teachings that creep in for the world, put away the false teachings that come from even in the church, we look to Christ and we go, the central theme, Christ took those and, and he erased them. It says he casts them to the depths of the sea. He doesn't remember them. We received an assurance of pardon today in our service because of the good news of Christ. We are not stuck in our sins. We are alive and free to follow the one who loves us and who has changed us. And so it's this legal process that Christ does as he nails, he said he says in, in 14 that this he has set aside nailing it to the cross. And so when he went to the cross, he took the punishment we deserved. And by faith we received that mercy and grace. And our sins are erased. And that's my sins of the past and your sins of the past. And that's the sins today, and we all have them today, since we got up at whatever time you got up. And that's the sins of the future. Nailed to the cross, covered. And he took the punishment we deserved. Do we ever lessen that power? Is it too commonplace for us? Surely you have heard that message before. And a lot of times we do. Well, Jesus saved me from my sins. And it's just kind of commonplace in the church, right? Versus getting excited about the reality of who he is and the power that he brings. And in that, we can find the sufficient work of him. And we should be encouraged by that. And when there's things that creep in, we're not captive to that. And when my mind tells me I'm not good enough, I can say, yeah, I'm right. I'm not good enough. But Christ is and I'm in him. And Christ is in you and you're in him. And therefore, as the trials come today, you will not be held captive because you're free, because you're alive in Christ. And that's where the power comes from, church. And that's where we find the truth. And that's what Paul's trying to drive at the Colossians. Your parenting's not good enough. Neither is mine. But in Christ, I'm not going to fall from the hands of Christ. I do not succeed at everything at work. And there are times when I don't things, do things well. In Christ, I am loved and it is not affecting him. My thought life is not pure. Neither is yours. The words that come from a mouth do not encourage people all the time. But in Christ, rooted, built up, established, I am held and his work is sufficient. I'm not going to fall from that grace and neither are you. And that's where he says, focus on that church. Don't think that somebody who's coming in saying, hey, you got to add circumcision to the mix for your salvation to make it right. Hey, you got to do this to add to your spiritual life, to make it right, to make your salvation right. That's not true. He says, focus on the main things and that's Christ. Be rooted and built up in him. Know that Christ has worked in you and through the circumcision process he's done in your heart, it's sufficient. Know that you are no longer dead in your trespasses. He has taken care of the legal process and he has set you free to follow him and given you the power to do so. 
and alive in Christ. And then he gives us one more picture at the end. It says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Again, the passage in him. I didn't count how many in hymns were in this passage. Maybe if you want to do that when you get home. In him, in him, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And I looked at this passage and I was like, hmm, what is this talking about a little bit? Because Christ didn't come and overthrow Rome. And he's not saying that we should kick Trump out of power. Or Obama or whoever it is or whichever governor or city official. So that wasn't it. But we're dealing with the spiritual realm. What is he talking about here? So he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them over. The commentaries that I read and the, and the message that I got is two things. One is just a picture of Rome when they would attack a, a country or a section or whatever. And the generals would come back and they would have parades and celebrations of the celebrating armies that came in. And they would march into Rome and the armies would come first. But do you know who came behind? Those who were defeated. And so as we think about the spiritual conquering of Christ and who he is and who we are in him and the celebration that we have and the life that we have, Christ has defeated Satan. Amen. Amen. Christ has overpowered him. And Christ is leading us in as a triumphal leader and is carrying us with him because we are in him. Not captive. We're not back here with Satan and his angels. We are coming in with Christ. Victorious. Free. Alive. In Christ. And so church, I encourage you the same way that Paul was encouraging the church of Colossae. And the same way I look to myself. Be focused on the main things. We are in Christ. Who he is. What he has for you. Your salvation is secure in him. Don't let the thoughts and the, and the captivity of the world or if false teachings come into your life. Guard yourselves from the doubts and, and the when I fail, I'm not sufficient or Christ's work isn't sufficient. Know that he is there. And those are real. I'm not doubting those. I have the I'm not good enough thoughts. And I encourage you then to turn back to Christ and know that he is good enough. If you remember at the beginning of this sermon, talked about my friend whose wife was dying of cancer. And he sat and he struggled said, am I good enough? Why isn't my wife healed? And another friend of mine came to him who had the truth. Even though both, of, both, of, both my friend and his wife who was dying are believers. This false teaching crept in. But another, another friend of mine, a believer, came in and said, look, your faith, faith isn't sufficient, but Christ is. And you have something wrong, but they said, we want you, they said, and they encouraged him and they loved on him. They said, you know, whether your wife is healed here or in heaven, your wife is going to be healed. And she is in the hands of Christ and he will not let her go. And that was a light bulb that came on for him to focus on that false teaching and a change of how he thought. That Christ had him. He was in Christ and so was his wife. And there was power in that. And Christ was not going to go love, let go of them. And Christ loved them. In the same way, church, Christ loves you and me. Christ will not let us go. Christ wants us to know that we are free in him and not held captive by any teachings or thoughts that are in us or in this world. But in him we are alive. And only in him, by him, and through him we find freedom and joy 
and abounding thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, amen, amen, and amen. Help us to be rooted and established in you because you are God who has completed the work. You are Christ who has nailed our sins to the cross and taken the punishment that we deserve. You are a Christ who has cut out the old and circumcised us into the new. You are a Christ who has taken us in our dead state and given us life. Father, we pray. We know we're weak. We know we need more of you. And we know that we have doubts that creep in. We know we have thoughts that hold us captive. We know we need more of your wisdom and discernment. Help us, Lord, to not feel disqualified. Help us, Father, to be rooted in you and not be deluded by other teachings. Father, help no one to come against us in the faith and the truth and the joy that we can find in you. Father, help us to know in our failures that you are a good God and your mercy is sufficient and your work is complete and there's nothing we can do or let be left undone that will destroy that or harm it. Help us to know, Father, that Christ is full. Christ is the deity of you and he has given that in us through faith that he gives us. Father, we praise you and find joy in you today. Amen.